welcome to another edition of the First in Orange Broncos podcast. I'm Kyle Fredrickson, sitting across from Ryan O'Halloran. We're entering week 12 with the Broncos coming off of a resilient victory at the Chargers, uh, proving all of our predictions wrong heading into that game. And now the Denver Broncos, they host a red-hot Steelers team, Ryan, another team with a winning record, uh, another great challenge. But as these Broncos enter this game, how much hope do you derive from that performance in L.A. now that we've had some some kind of some time to digest what happened and, and how the Broncos performed? Well, in, in a very micro sense, you can pick a couple things out of there. You know, let's go to Cortland Sutton. Uh, 76 yards receiving, two big catches. The yardage matched his season high. You can see them getting more comfortable with him playing that Demarius Thomas role, especially with yards after the catch. You know, the first half of the season... As Vance Joseph readily admitted, Cortland Sutton is a run straight down the field guy, jump and catch it or draw a penalty. These two catches against the Chargers were seam and slant routes. That should get fans excited. On defense, uh, the pass rush is continuing to continue on. Uh, Three sacks against a a Phillip Rivers-led offense that hadn't been giving up a lot of pressures. So those those are just two things, but you flip it over. Give a 400 yards passing. They couldn't cover a tight end. They didn't really tackle that well. Uh, so, you know, things tend to even out in this league. So you, you steal a Chargers game that maybe makes up for a game earlier in the year that you lost that you probably felt you should have won. Right, and so this is a Pittsburgh team that comes in at 7-2-1. and one. Um, Ben Roethlisberger to Antonio Brown is as always, one of the best combination quarterback receivers uh, in the NFL, Ryan. We could talk about the offense a lot, but is there things that you look at with the Steelers' defense where the Broncos could take advantage, just being that uh, we've seen Case Keenum have some improved play as of late? Just kind of what, what do you make of the Steelers' defense? Well, I think this could be a big Philip Lindsay game as a receiver. I'll give you a, a couple examples. This is a Steelers' defense that leads the league in sacks, has 37. They led it last year with 56. They're going to pressure the passer where they got themselves in trouble against the Jaguars last week because they, they rushed 6-7. and seven. They just dumped it off to Leonard Fournette because when he blitz those linebackers, that leaves that intermediate part of the field open. So if I'm the Broncos, I would take a gamble here. You know, if they're showing blitz and they do blitz, usually Phil Lindsay or Devontae Booker would stay in and block. I'd leak them out a little bit, try and get some free yards that way. And then, you know, one thing I try also do is take advantage of T.J. Watt. Early in that game against the Jaguars, Dante Moncrief, a receiver, lined up in the uh, right slot. T.J. Watt was in coverage. Try and get some kind of matchup like that, even if it's a tight end. So the Steelers' defense is good, but there's there's definitely a couple things where you can you feel like you can pierce. Right, and Ryan, kind of a tangent off of that, one thing you're writing about this week is sort of how this offense has performed well going in the no huddle at times, going kind of chaotic uh, the way that Case Keenum has, has played well. Will we see more of that? Do you think that's maybe a, a week-to-week thing? I'm sure that's what how Joseph answers that question. Um, but in terms of the overall success for this offense, more no huddle, more of this high-flying style, the better for the Broncos? Uh, I would sprinkle it in a little bit. They have throughout the year. In the, in the course of the game, there's more out of necessity. They started slow. They fall behind. Okay, let's try and change it up. I would make it a bread and butter part of your offense because you have a veteran quarterback who knows how to direct traffic, take advantage of it. The flip side is you don't want to go three and out, so you have to you have to start a drive. Okay, get that first first down. 
then go quick because then you can keep the Steelers defensive personnel on the field. You can maybe dictate uh, the matchups a little bit better. But it also has to do with game situation. Let's say the defense, Bronco defense, was on the field for a nine-play drive. You probably don't want to go no huddle uh, and throw them right back on the field. But if I'm Vance Joseph, you know, one of their models over the last two weeks has been whatever it takes. Well, this would fall under that category because this is a Steely team that blows teams out in the second quarter by more than 60 points. Try and get a lead, and your defense is probably more equipped to hold on to that lead than the Jaguars were last week up 16-0. Right, Ryan, that's great analysis looking at some of the things the Broncos could do offensively to continue scoring points and, and continue some of this momentum. We've seen Keenum in these past two games go without an interception, I think a big step forward in his development. You know, but let's kind of shift topics just for a minute here, Ryan. Last week, we maybe took the negative approach of, all right, let's look all the way ahead to the 2019 draft. What are the Broncos going to do? What are their options going to be? Should they tank these games? But as we move forward after a big win on the road, why not flip it ahead? At this point, the Broncos, the playoffs started tomorrow. They'd still be in the hunt. Uh, the 5-5 five and five Baltimore team right now has the last AFC wildcard slot. So if we're going to play glass half full, Ryan, with this, what, what do you make of the Broncos' kind of overall playoff positioning right now and what it would take kind of moving forward to them to have some legitimacy in that conversation? Because it seems like the AFC is down in a way that the Broncos could might slip in there. What do you think about that? I think the AFC stinks except for the first couple teams. Right. I mean, uh, Kansas City is very good, but they can't stop anybody. New England is very good, but... They just had a you know a bad loss at Tennessee, who then proceeded to get blown out by Indianapolis. Here's the thing about those five and five teams: there's a lot of them, and that's where a team that's four and six comes in comes in the problems. Minimum, it's going to take nine wins because one of these teams it happens every year. One of these teams is going to get hot and go undefeated into December. So, if the Broncos lose to Pittsburgh on Sunday, then they got to win out which I wouldn't like their chances to do because they haven't won two games in a row since weeks one and two. If they can find a way to beat Pittsburgh, then you start saying, okay, they play Cincinnati, who's ahead of them right now. They play the Chargers, who are ahead of them right now, even though they're probably going to make the wild card. So it, uh, I like Vance Joseph's reaction, basically doing playoffs. <laughs> right. So uh, yeah, this this is all about winning one game. And you know, it's, it's convenient to say they're one game out of the final spot, but if you have the standings in front of you, Kyle, there's a bunch of teams between Denver and that sixth spot, including, you know, Cincinnati, who's reeling, Baltimore, who's with Lamar Jackson. Um, the Colts and, and the Titans, the Dolphins are in that conversation, whether or not Tannehill comes back healthy. So, yeah, it's, it's clearly kind of a pipe dream at this point. Uh, you know, I'd mentioned Keenum's play before. Uh, the fact that he's been so good in these crunch time situations, does that give Broncos fans hope? I mean, I know you've written yeah. a, a little bit about him this week. It should. Uh, you know, and also, if you're a cynical fan like most of Mario, like, why doesn't he do that for the first three quarters? <laughs> right. You know, uh, this team has been slow to get going in most of these games. But, you know, Connor McGovern told me the other day that now the center for the Broncos, I was like, do you guys talk about how well you guys play in two minute? He says they actually to the point now where they joke around with it, where the less you got to think, the better you're going to play. And there's something about the urgency about going up tempo at the end of the game. It's a different mindset when you try and do it in the middle of the game. So um, I like to see it, but one guy who's going to be key if they're to be able to move up that table is Von Miller, which is the focus of your Sunday story. 
uh, sack and interception last week, one defensive player of the week, Hunter Stack. Uh, what's sort of going to be the focus of uh, your story on number 58? Yeah, it's it's interesting with Vaughn because, of course, being in the league as long as he has, the Post has written a ton of stories about how, why he's been successful and how he's been successful. But I think when we look at a milestone like this, uh, it allows us to sort of look at turning points in Vaughn's career. You know, sacks one, sacks 25, sacks 50. Tracking that progress, I think, tells a lot about the way Vaughn has matured as a player and the way that his preparation has allowed him to be successful. One thing I found interesting was Mike Tomlin and Ben Roethlisberger uh, both used the term scientist and, and that he takes a scientific approach. Well, what does that mean? What, what does that exactly mean for a football player? So diving into that, how Vaughn prepares, and kind of tracking that progress kind of through all these milestones, very impressive. I mean, in your mind, Ryan, here's a guy, he, he got to this uh, point fifth fastest of any player in league history where's Vaughn going to end up in the in the the annals of history when we talk about the the greatest to ever do it at his position well he's had 100 sacks playoffs in regular season and what's he in his eighth year so let's say he plays another five six years an hour you know he could get to 175 you know that puts him in the hall of fame I mean that's what you're watching here in Denver is a hall of fame player you know and you know, Tom, uh, Tomlin and Roethlisberger, they had to be watching tape of that interception to say, you know, he knew what was coming. He knew they were blitzing inside with Will Parks, and Chris Harris was blitzing from the slot. Let's see if they throw quick. He makes that play maybe once every couple of years. It takes a little bit of luck to have that throw come to you, but you're in position to make that play. And, you know, that was that was 19-7 at that point. Yeah, that's uh, right. And Chargers are going to put the game away. And that's when we were going to start writing that this season was over. So, you know, if, if things do get interesting here over the next couple of weeks, you're going to look back to Von Miller's interception. That's what he's paid to do. He's paid, as Mark Kisla has written a lot, he's paid quarterback money. That's the kind of impact he's expected to have. Early in the season, he didn't have that impact. He wasn't playing well as a pass rusher. He wasn't playing well against the run. But I think once he got his bearings, he's been a, a, a force along with Bradley Chubb. So one final note on what it would take for the Broncos to make a playoff push. Talked about a few different variables here. Let's stick on defense for a final thing. Something we should at least address here, Ryan. Uh, the cornerback depth, right? The team's decision to release Adam Jones. Going to give Brendan Langley opportunity. Going to give Isaac Yadam opportunity. Young guys, very untested with real athleticism. You know, high ceilings. But, you know, this is sort of baptism by fire. Late in a season, critical games that's a tough spot, right? Yeah, and, you know, Bradley Roby ain't playing great shakes either. You know, so if I'm an opponent, starting with Pittsburgh, I find a way to put guys on the field that forces those two young kids to be on the field at the same time, and then you can sort of challenge them that way. Sue Cravens is being playing baptism by fire at safety. He had trouble against the tight end because he hasn't played football in a long time. So if you're looking at this team getting hot, on you know, from a defensive perspective, you look at a couple things. One, their pass rush is potentially going to stay lethal. Second, the rush defense has held teams under 100 yards for four straight games after they couldn't stop anybody. Okay, you do that, now you get in teams in the third and long. Is your back end, that includes Josie Jewell, linebacker, rookie, uh, Chris Harris, Bradley Roby, those kind of guys. Is that back end going to hold up against the pass? We're gonna, That's going to be crystallized a little bit more on Sunday against Pittsburgh. Absolutely. Should be a great game. Some classic matchups between these two teams over the years. Uh, we'll have you covered throughout leading up 
up until kickoff and then of course uh, with in-depth game coverage as soon as this thing is over so on that note i will sign off for ryan we appreciate you guys listening to the first and orange podcast be sure to subscribe uh, to get notifications every time we drop a new episode you can find all of our p- content online at denverpost.com uh, and be sure to pick up that print edition every day as well we will see you guys next time